to Acts chapter 9. We're going to read from there. We're in a series uh, about the life of Paul where we're looking at his life uh, chronologically. We're taking events in his life, reading the pertinent scriptures, and then commenting on that. Um, Acts 9 is a passage that we're going to read tonight, verses 10 through 17, if you want to start there. God chose to use Ananias as a vessel to minister to Saul as his chosen vessel. It's an illustration. We are all vessels in the household of God available for his use. Uh, And that's why I've titled this On Vessel Assignment for God because you're, you you know, get it? There's a kind of a double meaning there. All right, I'll explain it later. Gene will explain it on the website. But anyway, Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 17. Now, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now over in Acts chapter 2, verse, or 22, excuse me, Acts 22, verses 12 through 16. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked up at him. And then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. On his way to persecute Christians in Damascus, Saul met the risen Lord Jesus Christ. The encounter left him temporarily blinded. It was what we're calling a light blindness because uh, he, he indicated in the scriptures we saw last week that he wasn't in darkness. It was just a light that he couldn't see through. He was led into the city and taken to the house of Judas on Straight Street. Nothing more is told us about his lodging. It would seem that it was prearranged before his encounter with Jesus? If so, he was lodging with a Jew who was sympathetic to destroying Christianity. So, I mean, think about it for a minute. Saul was on his way with letters from the chief priest to destroy Christians, and he had made arrangements ahead of time uh, where he would lodge. And when they brought him into town, he went to that lodging. Uh, And so it's a very interesting situation. Yet here was Saul fasting and praying after an encounter with Jesus Christ. Talk about what the kids would say today as awkward. (laughs) It's very interesting. There he had a vision of Ananias coming. I wonder if he shared that with Judas. These are all speculative things, but you think he said, hey, by the way, Judas, uh, expect a knock on the door. A Christian by the name of Ananias is coming. 
Ananias is described, and this I think is, is to me key, it's really what I got into, a certain disciple. The word certain got my attention. It seems to mean a certain one among some or any that Jesus could have chosen. The idea is that the Lord could have chosen from any number of Damascus disciples. There were many at his disposal. For whatever reason or reasons, Jesus called upon Ananias. Maybe you don't have a distinguished spiritual career. Maybe you have no career highlights. That's not the point. You and I are his certain disciple. Can the Lord call upon you if he so chooses? Are you available to him? Those are the only questions that need to be answered, not why hasn't he or when is he going to or why doesn't he, but could he? Could you be, in a sense, Ananias, just minding your own business in Damascus and then be called upon? Uh, I think the answer most of you would give is yes, and that's a blessing. The idea here isn't that you have to be someone special, you just have to be available. And there are three things you need to settle in order to be available should the Lord call upon you as his certain disciple for some special assignment. First, you need to have an expectation of the supernatural. The Lord spoke to Ananias in a vision. There was no explanation. Visions were a common occurrence. The supernatural was a common occurrence uh, to the first century church. I think we sometimes miss out on assignments the Lord has for us because we're not really expecting him to call upon us. And we're therefore not developing any sense of hearing his voice or following his leading in our lives. It's natural for us in the West, I think, because of our educational system and many other things, uh, to compartmentalize and to, uh, you know, even if you spend time with the Lord every day in devotions, reading, there's a sense in which I'm done with that now. I've, I've spent time with the Lord. If the Lord wanted to talk to me, he could have done it during my devotions when I was ready to listen. But now I've got these other things to do. And it's not a rude thing. I mean, that's just how we, how we roll, you might say. And yet the Lord is always wanting to keep us in a place where he could break through and speak to us, maybe in a vision, maybe through another person, maybe just something that we see or are meditating upon. We'll miss out on assignments if we're not really expecting him to call upon us in those other times, all the time. And we're therefore not developing any sense of hearing his voice or following his leading in our lives. Now, secondly, Ananias immediately responded with words that a servant would use. He said, here I am, Lord. You need to be ready. For lots of reasons, we are sometimes unprepared for an assignment. We're not keeping ourselves sharp and on call. Those of you who have some kind of on-call uh, job or on-call assignment, you're not really working, but you're on call, and there's a, usually a radius. You know, you can only go this far because you need to be able to respond. You have to be on, uh, you know, able to re have a cell phone or whatever it might be because you're on call. And so you can go to the movies if you want while you're on call, but, but you have to keep your phone on, and if you get called, you need to leave or in the middle of a dinner or whatever it might be. Jesus gave Ananias a very detailed itinerary, he told Ananias exactly what was going to occur. He doesn't always reveal so much information. Normally, the Lord only gives you the next step of faith. You'll get as much or as little information as you need. Ananias was at first reluctant. 
Not only was this Saul the punisher, he, he, you know, the Lord went out of his way to say, this is Saul of Tarsus. And the Christians obviously knew that he was coming. And so he said, this is Saul, but in all likelihood, the house of Judas wasn't really a safe place for a Christian to visit uninvited if Judas was in fact a Saul sympathizer. And so this is a very intriguing, if not dangerous, assignment for Ananias. I want you to go pray for Saul in Judas's house. Man, you talk about a lion's den kind of a thing. And so uh, I'm not ready to label Ananias as a doubter or as having unusual fear. It may simply be a request for clarification. It's as if Ananias wanted to know, are you talking about the Saul who had come to wreck the lives of the Christians, that guy at Judas's house? He just wanted to make sure. If it was doubt or fear, then I'm kind of encouraged because the Lord understands our doubts and our fears and we can discuss them with him. There's no sense that Ananias was going to refuse, but he did want to clarify and talk to the Lord to make sure he was on the right track. When Ananias arrived, his prayer was accompanied by the laying on of hands. Or actually, it says he laid his hand on him. What's that all about? Well, the most simple way I can put it is that in the Old Testament, the high priest would lay hands on the burnt offering. It was symbolic of passing the sins of the people to the animal to be sacrificed. The actual act in itself did not transfer the sins to the animal but it was the obedience of following the law of God. It was a symbolic act. The priests were associating themselves with the animals to be sacrificed for the sins of the people. In the New Testament, you see examples of laying on of hands as spiritual gifts were being imparted and as healings were received. But you also see gifts and healings without the laying on of hands. I only mention that because we have to be so careful not to become methodical in our Christianity. We always want to know how to accomplish something. uh, And and really what we try to remind ourselves of and us here when we teach is that it's the who that's important. You're listening to Jesus. You want to do what the Lord Jesus Christ tells you to do. And we're not seeking a method There's certain styles of ministry, certain ways different people minister, but we're not looking for a method. There's a lot of crazy methods that people use uh, in healing. Um, There was a guy not too long ago, uh, I think he was down in Florida, who he would hit people or kick them because he felt like the Lord told him, punch that guy in the stomach and then he'll get healed. He didn't last very long. Um... But, I, you know, I've never seen anybody, I mean, I'm sure it's been done, but I've, you know, Jesus once healed a blind man by making spit or making mud out of his spit. I, that's not, that doesn't get you a lot of tithes and offerings if that's your methodology. But, but people try to come up with a method of doing things. Back when I was a young Christian, there were healing seminars teaching you how to uh, heal others. And Somebody had come up with ideas about exactly how and where to touch the body to, to, for various healings to take place. Uh, you know, if you had back trouble, you had this kind of a thing. It was almost like chiropractic, you know, only it was spiritual. Uh, so we're not looking for a methodology. The laying on of hands is not mystical. 
to associate yourself with and identify with the person. It's a point of physical connection that illustrates spiritual unity. Like everything else, we want to have a realistic, what we call balanced approach to it. We want to lay hands on people. We do. We lay hands on them and pray for them, connecting with them, you know, identifying with them. We don't want to shy away from that and act super conservative or, you know, like we shouldn't do things like that, but we don't want to go crazy with it either. Uh, I, I don't know if any of you do this. I don't want to offend you if you do. Go on, keep doing it if you'd like, but I, I've seen people before who, you know, they, they feel like they're kind of a spiritual channel, and so if somebody's being, pray, if we're praying for Josh, they feel like they need to to reach out their hand in this direction and then for Marvin, you know, over here as if you're a receptor of some kind of spiritual energy that's coming through. And to me, if you want to do that, that's fine. I'm not against that. But to me, it's a little bit um, new age. It's a little bit kind of like I'm channeling the force of God. And as my understanding is the Holy Spirit is not a force, is he? He's a person. I don't channel people. And so if you want to do that, that's fine. I'm not against that. I'm, nobody, the ushers aren't going to come and cut off your hands or anything like that. Nobody's going to ask you to stop. But we want to lay, so, you know, that's the kind of fellowship we are. We, we, we want to lay hands on people. We want to, you know, be intimate in that way and identify, but we don't want to go crazy and think that something more is happening. So it's not mystical, but it's very important, and it's not methodology, methodological either. Now, did the Lord initially tell Ananias that Saul was also going to be filled with the Holy Spirit? He may have, and the words were not recorded by Luke. We, he, he didn't, that wasn't part of what the Lord is recorded as saying. But you understand that what we have in the Bible isn't a word-for-word dialogue all the time of what was said. It's a synopsis. But it's just as likely that Ananias assumed that Saul would be filled with the Spirit Jesus had told Ananias that Saul would go forth preaching about him to Gentiles and kings and Jews. Every first century believer knew that could only be done by a person filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a point made over and over and over again in Acts. And so uh, I think it was just natural for Ananias to, uh, to pray for Paul that he would receive the Holy Spirit. Notice this isn't the being filled with the Spirit that comes from filling yourself with the Word of God. There are those super conservative Christians who want to say there is no such thing as a further filling of the Spirit or a baptism with the Holy Spirit. You just get saved and the Holy Spirit indwells you and then you, are, you go on being filled with the Spirit as Paul says in Ephesians and Colossians, by studying the word and obeying God. And that's true, you do. There is that sense of being filled with the spirit. But Saul was a brand new believer. Ananias wasn't telling him, Saul, before you can do anything, you need to you know, really get into God's word and memorize the word and do all of these things. No, he was praying for him to receive immediately the baptism with the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit coming upon Saul to empower him to serve the Lord. The New Testament pattern that we have in Acts are saved individuals upon whom the Spirit would come and baptize them and anoint them and bless them with power to minister, boldness to share Christ. 
That brings us to the third thing you need to be available for a special assignment. You, you need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You need to understand that it's the Holy Spirit who is leading you and guiding you and will give you the boldness for the ministry. If you've never been baptized with the Holy Spirit, if you don't believe there is such an experience subsequent to salvation, or if you have been, but now somehow think you can serve the Lord in your own wisdom and strength, you're not going to get too many assignments to serve Him. You're just not. Because the Lord says in the Old Testament, it's not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. He wants ministry to take place in and through the power of the Holy Spirit as I depend upon him to strengthen me. Like Ananias, you and I are certain disciples. At any moment, the Lord could choose us for an assignment. We need to be expecting it. We need to keep ourselves ready for it. And we must be familiar with the baptism of the Holy Spirit to accomplish it. Those are really simple things, but they're things that we forget. Next, Saul was baptized. It would seem from the book of Acts that adult believers were water baptized as soon as possible, immediately as po if possible. Ananias said, hey, basically in the second passage, in the Acts 22 passage, he says, what are you waiting for? Don't just sit there having been healed and been commissioned. Get up, get baptized, let's get on with this thing. I think it's probably more biblical that people get baptized right away, but since baptism isn't a requirement for salvation, we do have some wiggle room. And, and so there's a, I, I feel kind of a stress there, tell you the truth, when I think about baptism. That's why, for our part, we're, we're starting to do more baptisms. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. We're starting to do more baptisms and we're starting to do them as a part of the service rather than uh, just something at the end if you want to stay for. So we're putting a little bit more emphasis on baptism because the more I read through the New Testament, I see that these guys, that, you know, the Ananias is the pattern. He says, get up and get baptized and make your public profession of faith in Jesus Christ. I know uh, John Corson up in Applegate, Oregon, they have an outdoor baptismal and anytime somebody gets saved, they take them out there and they dunk them and, you know, it gets pretty cold in Applegate, Oregon. But they don't care because that's his philosophy. I don't think we need to go crazy and start filling up the baptismal every Sunday, but I do think we need to uh, ramp up our baptisms for those who need to be baptized. The, ba the New Testament knows, uh, frowns upon an unbaptized believer. It's a command that Jesus gave. Is it necessary for salvation? No. If you die without being water baptized, are you going to go to heaven if you're a believer? Yes. But we want to uh, approximate what was going on in the Bible. Now, Saul had been saved but left blind on the road to Damascus. When Ananias prayed for him, it says scales fell from his eyes. And I believe that that's literal. Although he could now see, it's possible he had some permanent damage. When he wrote to the Galatians in a very early letter, he made a remark that indicated he had some sort of ongoing eye trouble. It may have stemmed from these scales and from this event. He may have been so blinded by the light of the glory of God in Jesus Christ that it left permanent damage. If so, every moment of his life, Saul had a reminder of his former spiritual blindness. God told Ananias that Saul was his chosen vessel. The analogy of the vessels is that there is a great house and in it, many kinds of telephones. 
along with the vessels. Many, many ringtones to glorify God. Or, or that could have been somebody's prayer language, I suppose. A few Sundays ago, it was quite a few Sundays ago, but I could hear a beeping and nobody else could hear because it was actually a car that was out on the curb. And um, it was either my car or Gene's car. One of us had touched our key fob and had hit the alarm. And so I'm doing my thing, making fun of their people, and they're like, what are you talking about? You know, and I keep, meep, 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 because it was, it was adjacent to my hearing, right in my wheelhouse, you might say so. But I heard that. Somebody here flubbed. <laughs> Chosen vessel. Great house, the church of Jesus Christ. Many different kinds of vessels. Think of your own house. You have glasses and dishes. You have Tupperware and Pyrex. I always like Corningware. Is Corningware still big? Is that an old thing? Or do people serve me up Corningware? Blue and white Corningware. Those were, they were unbreakable. Wasn't that the idea? My brothers would, anytime something was labeled unbreakable, my brothers would try to break it. And nine times out of ten, they would. They used to break a lot of my toys that way. I remember there was a, a truck one time, it was a radio control truck, it had a, it was about this big and yay high and it had a trailer behind it and on television a, a, an adult man stood on the trailer to show how un, unbreakable it was. I guess the one I got was the pre-unbreakable model because they stepped on it and broke it. And back in those days, I had to wait like four months to get a replacement by the time you contact the Tonka company or whoever made it by mail and, you know, send them the broken pieces. There was no internet, if you can imagine that. But uh, anyway, it was crazy. So you have all these different vessels in your house, porcelain, plastic, metal. They each serve different purposes. Some are used every day and they show signs of wear. Some are used infrequently. Some of them even are on display. But all of them are vessels that you have chosen and they're in your house and they're at your disposal for various different assignments. For his own reasons and to his own glory, Jesus chose Saul as a vessel he would use in a very dramatic way. Saul was one of those vessels used really hard every day. And it did lead to excessive wear. Saul, in his first letter to the Corinthians, wrote, we have been made as the filth of the world, the offscouring of all things until now. Those words filth and offscouring refer to the stuff you scrape off of a pan after cooking. Saul saw himself as the everyday cook pan in the household of God, constantly in the fire, needing a lot of maintenance, getting a lot of scrubbing. On the one hand, it would be wonderful to be used profoundly like Saul, but those vessels used most often take a lot of abuse. They lose their handles, they get burnt, they're just, you know, you love them and they're great for what you want to do every day, but they just get wore out. I guess the point I'm making is this, you are a chosen vessel every bit as much as Saul or Peter or Billy Graham, for that matter. 
the kind of vessel you are, it's not up to you to decide. You're a vessel in God's great house. Most of the time I feel like Tupperware that's been put in the dishwasher too often. You know, it starts off all shiny and clean. You keep microwaving that stuff and putting it in the dishwasher, pretty soon it gets that scummy look. And you think, should I be using this? Is plastic leaching into my food as I drink my Coke filled with aspartame and, you know, all this other stuff? It's crazy, <laughs> all this stuff. But you and I, I mean, you just, you're a particular vessel in God's house and it wasn't up, it's not up to you to figure out if you're bone china or Pyrex or Tupperware. You're the Lord's in his house at his disposal. You should be expecting to hear from him, keeping yourself ready, filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized with the Spirit, those kinds of things. But your service is always as unto the Lord. And whether you're Tupperware or China, whether you used a lot or a little, you just need to be faithful for what God has chosen for you. Because in the end, when we all face Jesus Christ, he's going to want to say, well done, good and what kind of servant? Faithful. Not productive servant. Not uh, potential servant. On the other hand, faithful servant. The service is something he specifies based on where he found you and when he saved you and what condition you uh, live in and those kinds of things. For sure, some people do more than others. Almost, I caught myself, almost did air quotes there, I, but you notice I stopped before I did more. I might start doing that just for effect. I'm, Sunday, I'm going to do some air quotes, and you guys will crack up, and the rest of the church won't know what's going on. I go, <laughs> That's what's, those are called air quotes. You know that? How many of you knew that? That's one of the few things I know. Uh, but, uh, you know, some of you are going to be used more than others. Just be faithful when God is using you even in a lesser way. Amen? Amen.